Our Old Testament scripture reading today comes from Psalm 103. We heard a bit of it in our uh, call to worship. So we'll be reading that together. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, if you were to make a statistical study of every word that we use in our church services, from the call to worship, from the, the singing, the songs that we sing, and all of the sermons, and, and everything that we say, all the words that we use. And if you charted them all out, and I know that there's somebody that might be interested to do that kind of thing, I don't know why, but if you did, and you tried to figure out which scripture passages show up the most in our services, right? Which, which ones permeate everything the most? I'm willing to bet. Well, I won't bet, right? We won't gamble when it comes to this. But I'd, I'd be willing to uh, guess that the scripture that would show up the most, or at least be really close to the top, would be Psalm 103. This is something that does permeate so much of what we do, what we say, what we sing. And it's a psalm all about the character 
of God. Why should we worship him? What makes him worthy of worship? Well, he's not like so many other false gods or deities that we might petition and we we might sacrifice to in order to get something out of them. There is no quid pro quo relationship with him. Instead, he just gives. He gives and gives and gives, and we need only receive. You need only receive. Brothers and sisters, don't forget, as the psalm says, the many benefits that you have been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. The most central being that he has forgiven all of your iniquities, your corruption, all the ways that you don't measure up, all the ways that you sin, he has forgiven. He forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies. That's what the psalm says. When he made himself known to Moses, when he passed by Moses, and it says that he would declare his name to Moses, do you remember what it was? What is his name that he declared? The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's repeated here, that's repeated in this psalm. This is who God is. It's his name. And maybe you see him as angry with you all the time. Maybe you see him as vindictive and cruel for all that your life has turned out to be. Maybe you see him as cold and distant or uninterested and uncaring. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong about that if that's how you see God. Our God is one who will not chide and not be angry forever. Maybe for a time, right? Maybe you have sinned and provoked his anger, his justice, but he is more than willing to abundantly pardon and show you his grace, his mercy, and his love. He does not, it says, deal with us as we deserve in verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins. No, instead, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So kids, I want all the kids in here. How far is the east from the west? Which way is west, do you know? Can you point to it? It's kind of that way, it's not up. (laughs) No, that way, okay, east, okay, that way, okay, if you just started to go east, and you just started to walk, and you just kept walking, how long would it be until you started to go west? Infinity long, right? Forever long. You would never start to go west. You just keep going east. You just keep going, okay, until you turn around, you start going the other way, and then if you're going west, how long would it take until you're going east? You just never would. That's how far, it says. That's how far he has removed our transgressions from us when we have been forgiven. God, we're told, is like a father and we his children. His steadfast love, it says, it's from everlasting 
everlasting. It just keeps going. If you fear the Lord, then his love for you is unending. This is our God. So bless the Lord. Right? Of course, of course. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, everything, everyone. We, it, it's right, it's fitting. He deserves it. All that is within me. Right? He gave his life for you. So now in return, you offer your life, everything that you are, it says, right? All of me. You offer everything you are to him. That's what is fitting. Our New Testament scripture reading is just a short one that comes from the end of Ephesians chapter 4. Um, we're really focusing on just one line, really, of this text, and I know in the bulletin I put that we'll be reading verse 31 to 32 but I'm actually going to back up to verse 25 just to get a little bit of a broader context for us this is Ephesians chapter 4 beginning verse 25 focusing on really the last line that we'll read therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. And this is maybe going to get a little uncomfortable for a moment. Maybe even difficult. I want you to think for a moment about the things that you've done in your life that you try to forget. Right, the ways that you have sinned and made a royal mess of your relationships or family or church, your devotional life or piety. Those things that are in the past or those things that are in the present. Those things that are happening right now. Whether they're things that you felt trapped in, like you fell into, or things that you knew full well you were choosing them things that sapped away any devotional life alienated you from god or from others the things that brought guilt right whether you felt guilty or not things that brought true guilt before god on your head right think of your sins promiscuity immodesty sex outside of marriage lust, objectification, homosexual desires or actions, 
Think about your rebellion against how God has made you as a man or as a woman seeking androgyny or confusion instead. Think of the the bitterness that you've held on to, the hatred you've had toward others, just that unbridled wrath toward others. Think of how you've manipulated others for your own gain. Think about the ways that you have despised or exasperated your children. The way that you've really failed to protect them, to love them, to care for them as you are to do. Think of the ways that you have dishonored your parents, despised them or rejected them. Think of the things that you've stolen, right? The, the ways that you have lied, the many lies that you've told, the ways that you've tried to cover things up with deceit. Think of the times uh, of just extreme hardness of heart, how you have rejected the grace of God, fought against his providence, hated his discipline in your life. Think of the way your greed has destroyed others, right? wrecked your relationships, or how your envy has wished the destruction of others. Think about all the impure thoughts and actions, the, the mess and the muck, the mire of your life, the kinds of things you'd be ashamed of if everybody else here could just see and know right? the things that you want to hide. Don't you want to be free of that? Right, of all of that. Right, don't you just want there to be some way that all of that, right, all of that darkness and impurity, all that you've tried to cover over, don't you wish there was a way that it could be covered? That you could start again? Don't you just wish that there was a way that you could start over and just be new. Just start over fresh. Start over new. Well, there is. There actually is a way. I want you to know that. I want you to hear it today. I want you to know it. Right? To know it in your soul. To know it in your bones. In Jesus Christ, through his death, and his burial, and his resurrection, God has, and he will forgive you of all of your sins. All of them. Everything that you just thought of, and the things that you refuse to think about. There is nothing that he doesn't see and know, and willingly forgive for you, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ. Today we're focusing on forgiveness and about the the hope and the change that this should bring to our lives. There truly is, there is forgiveness of sins. There is forgiveness available to us. But in order to talk about the forgiveness of sins, we have to talk about sin. We have to talk about the problem of sin. If there is no sin, there is no forgiveness. 
We have to talk about that which needs forgiving. J.I. Packer defines sin this way. He says, sin is lawlessness in relation to God as lawgiver, rebellion in relation to God as rightful ruler, missing the mark in relation to God as our designer, guilt in relation to God as judge, and uncleanness in relation to God as the Holy One. You see all these different categories, different ways that we could understand the nature of sin. And when you hear the word sin, I think it's easy for us to think of it in maybe simple terms, but really that one word often is carrying with it the weight of a lot of different ideas, a lot of different categories. You maybe noticed this when we were looking through Psalm 103. Psalm 103 uses several different words to describe sin. Right? It speaks of iniquity. It speaks of iniquity, which is the idea of, of the, the sinful nature. Right? The fact that we are tainted, directed toward sin. It used the word sin. Right? Sin literally means missing the mark. It was a term used in archery. Right? You didn't hit the mark. You didn't hit where you were supposed to hit on the target. Right? It's the idea that you've not measured up to be what you were made to be. We'd also use the word transgression. That you have actively sinned. Sometimes we talk about this as actual sin. Meaning you actively sinned. You, you did something wrong. You broke the law of God in that way. And when you read scripture, it, it is not afraid to show how pervasive sin is in the world and in you. And this can be very difficult for us because we spend most of our lives and we live in a society, in a culture that spends so much time and energy and money trying to cover up sin and trying to justify it, trying to cover it so that we don't have to think about it. You might say, well, how do we do that, right? How do we cover up sin? There's lots of different ways. There are lots of tactics. By no means is this every way. But one way that we do it is we psychologize it, right? I'm not sinning. It's just a, it's just a learned habit from growing up with troubled parents. It's, it's not sin. It's a chemical imbalance in the brain or a coping mechanism or a personality trait. Parents, we do this with our children. Right? Oh, my child, well, she's just a bit more free-spirited. And what we really mean is, well, she's, she's disrespectful and disobedient probably because we never discipline her. She's never been spanked. She does what she wants. She gets what she wants when she throws a tantrum. Right? Or how many mothers have claimed that their boy is, well, he's just a softer, gentler boy. But what's really happened is they've coddled their son so he cannot grow up into true masculinity as God's called him to. Right? These are just different ways that we psychologize sin. We, we use the excuse of nature. Well, it's just nature. It's just who I am. It's just what I'm like. If they're this way by nature, well, we can't change it. We can't expect it to change, and we can't expect them to do different. So it becomes a kind of excuse. We cover up sin. How many people have done this with you know, personality 
type tests. Right? What's my personality type? Well, because I'm this way. Right? Well, I'm, I'm just more introverted. I don't really like being with the rest of the church, so I'll just, I'll just stay at home. It becomes an excuse. I'm an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs. That's true. That's what I usually am in taking that particular test. And if you know anything about the Myers-Briggs, the ENTJ, if you've ever seen online the personality tests that show, well, this is the Disney character that you are, or this is the character in, in, in this or that, the ENTJ is always the bad guy. It's always the bad guy. So I get to just be a jerk, right? Because I'm an ENTJ. It's just who I am, right? How often does that sort of thing become the excuse? Well, these are my strengths. This is my number. I can't do any differently. This is who I am. It's how I'm wired. We make ourselves a kind of victim instead of perpetrator of sin. We also celebrate sin or, or call sin virtue. We take sins and we turn them into something that is right and good. Right? Culturally, this is made clear when we celebrate things. Often we celebrate it by, by attaching the word pride Right? So there are pride parades. And we celebrate sodomy and the forced castration, surgical or chemical, of children. We celebrate it. We, we celebrate debauchery. Right? And I'm not trying to be gratuitous. I told you it'd get a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not trying to, to focus on any one thing. But this is, this is where in our culture it's just made obvious. It's clear. Right? It's evident. Right, what happened, we, we had a, a very recently in the life of the PCA and the country, we had a transgender activist go into a Christian school and, and kill three children and three adults. And the response was to talk about how good and right and to celebrate transgenderism, to celebrate gender confusion. Right, so we, we celebrate sin as virtue. Think about anything else, right? We put pride next to it. We celebrate things. And we do, this, we do this in the church. We do this as well. It's just so blatant. We also justify sin. right? In a lot of ways by removing things from the category of sin. We remove things that the Bible can speak about. The Bible has to be limited in what it can actually call out in our lives. For instance, when we're speaking about things like what we just spoke about it might be easy to think, well, you shouldn't be saying those things from a pulpit in a church because those are political issues, right? So we'll, we'll take things, we'll say, well, you know, abortion, well, that's a, that's a political issue, right? We shouldn't be culture warriors from the pulpit. That would be wrong. Well, but these are things that the scripture condemns as sin, right? Speaks out against. But we say, well, the, the Bible can't speak to those things. Those aren't things that the Bible can do. We want to remove the authority of what can be called sin. We do that sometimes. Even I mean, this is something that we do too. I'm not, I'm not just pointing at cultural sins as if they're not ours as well. We do this, for instance, with things like modesty. Right? Well, the, the scripture, when it talks about modesty, well, that's just, it, it was all cultural. So it doesn't actually teach us anything or tell us anything 
today, the scripture can't really talk to us about how we should dress or act with modesty. We just remove a little bit of the authority. We remove it. And by doing so, we're justifying and excusing and covering up our sin. We also limit sin to just one of those categories that we've talked about. One of the categories of the way sin is spoken of in Scripture. For instance, we might say, well, sin, that's transgressions. It's not iniquity. We would probably not use those words. And we probably wouldn't consciously say this, although sometimes it is consciously said. But we just remove what sin can actually be. So ideas will develop like, well, I can have sinful desires as long as I don't act on them. As long as I don't actually do these things, and it's just in my head. Well, that's okay. That's not actually sin. We say, well, someone is just, again, by nature this way, or born this way. They're inclined towards sin, but as long as they learn not to act on it, well then it's not sinful. But as we've seen, Scripture doesn't, it doesn't actually limit sin. It doesn't try to comfort us by limiting the pervasiveness of sin in our lives. You are a sinner. And that means, yes, you've committed sins. You have transgressed and violated God's holy standard for life. And it means that you have sinful desires, which are sins in themselves. Right? Every desire to sin is sin. And they're not just sins of, of commission that you commit, that you actively do. They're also sins of omission, the things that you are supposed to do. Right? The ways that you are supposed to be that you don't. You fail. You omit to do what you're responsible to do. Okay, the kids in here, a lot of them know the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the answer to the question, what is sin? Right? It's that sin is, is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So it's not just a transgression, it's also any want of conformity unto. Those things which you neglect to do that you should be doing. This is also a sin. And more than that, right, if you refrained your whole life from desiring sinful things, right, which you haven't and you won't, and let's say, right, just for the sake of argument, that you never act out in sin, You've never actually sinned in that way, which you know you haven't. You know that you won't. And let's say simply for argument that you somehow could, could fulfill everything that you were made to be and do. You fulfilled all of God's commandments. You did it all. You still have the problem of the inherited guilt from Adam's line. The, the sharing in the rebellion of the whole human race that you're a part of. So you've sinned. You can't get away from it. That's what all of this means. I know that you know that too. Right? I know that as we 
started, that there are things that you want to be free from, that you wish had never happened, that you've made a mess of your life. You know that you've sinned. This is what makes forgiveness necessary. And it's what makes forgiveness such a blessing. It's such a relief. Paul says here that you are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Right? As God in Christ has forgiven you. This, he's speaking about new life in Christ. What does it look like to live a new life in Christ? How can you live that new life? Free from your old self. Right? That mess that lies behind you. That truly is behind you. It lies behind you. And foundationally, all of that can be true. That new life that you have, that can be true because you have been forgiven. He he can and truly will and has forgiven you of all of your sins if you are in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about this forgiveness. There are all of these ways that we try to cover up sin, to justify it, psychologize it, celebrate it, limit it, excuse it. And none of it works, at least not fully. Maybe for a time it feels like it does, but in the end it just doesn't fix everything. But God has made a way to truly cover up sin, to cover over it, to make an end of it. Think about Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden. Right? And they, they recognize their nakedness, so they try to cover themselves up. Right? They feel ashamed. And then they, when God's coming, they go and they try to hide from him. And we read that and we think, wow, how silly of them. They can't hide from God. But we do that too. We try to cover ourselves, to hide from him. To think, though... That he doesn't see us just as much as he could see them is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to hide from God, to think that he doesn't see exactly what you're doing. He sees it all. He knows it all. You can fool others. You can sometimes fool yourself. You cannot fool God. But you don't have to. That's what this means. God has made a way to cover you in Jesus Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, or if you will trust in him, it means that when he died, when he was buried, he did so carrying your sin, taking it, all of it. Everything that you thought of earlier when I told you to think of it, and everything that you didn't, Jesus died for all of it. You simply have to receive him. He he did that. He has made a way for forgiveness. God can totally and freely forgive you because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. Because he died for your sin. This can be so true. It can be so true that you've been forgiven that you can be called a new creation. Right? Made new. You want a new life. You can have it. Right? Paul talks about it all the time. When God 
offers you forgiveness, it's, it's not as though it's some kind of a trap. It's not a bait and switch. Right? It's not an empty promise. He's not going to come around and get you with it in the end. He truly desires to abundantly pardon your sin. Think of his name. What is he? What, what is he like? What is his character? The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. He loves to do it. He's not begrudging. He's not dragging his feet to forgive. Right? He loves to do it. He rejoices over repentant sinners. Right? Jesus said, I came right, not for those who are well. Right? I came to save sinners. If God would pardon a city, a city like Nineveh, right, a pagan city, just completely as far away from him as could be, and yet just with Jonah saying, well, you're all going to be judged, it, and they repented, if he's willing to pardon them, couldn't he, couldn't he pardon you? Right? Isn't it possible that he could pardon you? No, it's not just possible. Right? I, I can declare it to you. I can tell you. He can and will in Christ pardon you. When God forgives, it means that covenantally your sins are removed from the equation. Right, so God treats you as if there is no sin at all. He calls you what? He doesn't, when you are in Christ, he doesn't call you sinner. He doesn't, right? What does he call you? What are you called if you are in Christ? Child? Right? Son? Friend? Co-heir? Holy? A saint? I think that means a holy one, righteous. It's not as though your sins never happen, but they don't define your relationship to God any longer. He forgets them in that he won't bring them back to haunt you. Right? Covenantally, they are not a part of this situation anymore. They're totally forgiven and forgotten in Christ. Okay, that's not just an idea. It's not just, you know, what a, what a cool idea if it were true. You know, it's not like that. This, this, is, this is the truth. Right? This is the, the gospel. The good news that you can be saved. You can be forgiven because of Jesus Christ. You really can be forgiven of all of your sins. You really can, in that way, start over. Washed in the blood fully and freely forgiven, a new man or woman in Christ. Right? That's the offer to you if you will entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have done that, we know that, well, forget not all of his benefits. Why does, why does Psalm 103 say forget not all of his benefits? Because you can forget his benefits. So don't forget them. Right? Don't, don't forget what he has done for you. Hear the gospel. Right? Know that Christ can and does truly forgive. Of course, when I say that you can be forgiven, it doesn't mean that the temporal consequences of your sin just go away. Right? It doesn't mean that you'll no longer sin even. Right? John says, if you say that you are without sin, 
you're a liar. Right? And so if you say you're without sin, well, you're with sin. <laughs> you know, you're, it doesn't matter. Either way, uh, you are a sinner. So then what does the, what is the life of someone who is forgiven look like? Right? What, what is it like? Well, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, he says, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. There are two points that I want to kind of hone in on as we come toward a close. The first is that even though you do still face the temporal consequences of sin, even after you've been forgiven, it's because of the forgiveness that is offered to you by Jesus Christ that you can face the consequences of your sin with hope and with strength, right? with, with the hope and strength that you need to face up to them. We recently uh, watched some of the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which is a, a movie made as a... Uh, modern retelling of the story of the Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey, right? ancient story. And it follows three kind of escaped convicts in the early 20th century. And it's kind of goofy. It's in the deep south, and, and it's, uh, it's interesting. But at one point in this movie, as these three convicts are running away from the law, right? They've escaped prison, so they're, they're hiding. They bump into a congregation that's going down to the river to be baptized. And two of these convicts decide to go in and get baptized with this congregation. And they come back to Ulysses, who happens to be a bit of a skeptic, who thinks they're pretty ridiculous for having done this. But they, they say, look, we're free. Right? The, the preacher said, we've been washed in the blood, we're new, we've been made new. The preacher, they say, says that, you know, the, the baptism's absolved us. And the character Ulysses at one point says, well, that, you know, it's, that's not a problem. Yes, the, you know, so you say that the Lord's forgiven you of all of your sins. He says, that's not the issue, right, because even... If that did put you square with the Lord, he says, the state of Mississippi is a little more hard-nosed. Right? The state of Mississippi is still coming after you. They understood that, wow, I'm, look, I don't have to run from the law anymore. Right? I'm done. I'm free. He says, well, that's not actually what happens now. Right? Forgiveness, it's true. Forgiveness doesn't remove the, the consequences of your sin in this life. And you might say, well, then what's the point? Right, why would, I, why would I need this then? Well, because it does remove the consequences of sin in the next life. And be, because of that, because it removes those consequences, you can confidently, with hope and strength that only God can give, face the consequences of your actions. Right, knowing of the love of the Father, you can then face those things that you have to face up to. You can entrust yourself to God knowing that he will care for you even in the midst of the difficult temporal consequences of sin. The second point I want to make is this. Almost everywhere, not everywhere, 
I shouldn't say everywhere. A large portion of the times that forgiveness is mentioned in Scripture, the forgiveness of God, right, the, the fact that you have been forgiven of your sins, directly connected is the fact that you are to forgive others. It's right there. It's right here in the text. Forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven you. Right? True forgiveness of your sins flows naturally into forgiving others of their sins toward you. Forgiven people are forgiving people. Right? Forgiven people are forgiving people. And I want to focus on the fact that you have been forgiven. Right? God has forgiven you. But we can't completely do that without talking also about the forgiveness that flows into that the, the fruit that that bears of forgiving others because jesus christ has died and you've been forgiven of all of your sin then because of that you can forgive others of their sin right you don't have to hold on to the sins of others you don't have to hold them accountable for their sin and judge others and hold back forgiveness because you've been freed from that right it doesn't have to be your job to be the judge and the jury when the true judge has already given you forgiveness and that's for for freedom i mean that's a, a freeing reality it's a freedom that true forgiveness brings freedom from that bitterness and wrath right freedom from the kind of prison that you can be put in of other people's sins Right? Your whole life being dictated by how other people sinned against you. So now I have to do this. Or I have to hold back my love in this way. Or I have to manipulate them in this way. Or I have to get back at them in this way. You don't have to do any of that. Right? You can be totally free of it because you can forgive them as you've been forgiven. And I don't mean right, just saying that someone is forgiven. But truly forgiving them. Right? As, as God in Christ has forgiven you. No longer does their sin stand in the way of fellowship. No longer do they, they receive the cold shoulder from you. Right? You're totally and completely willing to forgive them as they, they come and they ask for that forgiveness as they repent of their sins. Doesn't remove temporal consequences. I'm not saying if you uh, live in a house that is uh, abusive or if you're, you're being uh, physically or sexually abused, to just forgive and forget. That's not what this says. That's not what it means. Right? You call the police. Right? You get help. You, you don't have to put yourself in physical danger. But you can truly learn to forgive from your heart even the, the worst of sins. You can learn how to forgive just as you've been forgiven. Brothers and sisters, on nearly every page of Scripture, God offers to you the promise of forgiveness. Right? Do you believe Him? Do you remember the benefits that He gives? Whatever the sin is, it won't do to hide it, to try to cover it up from Him, to pretend it isn't sin. Right? What will help is taking it to God, acknowledging your sin and your iniquity, and then trusting Him to deal with it. Right? Trusting Him to take it for Christ's sake. And He promises that He will. And He loves to do it. 
It's the kind of God that we serve. You need not worry about it any longer. You can be free, forgiven and forgiving a new man and woman in Christ. So believe it. And bless the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, help us. Help us by your Spirit. We pray, God, that if there are those here who do not know your forgiveness, that they would know it, that they'd receive it, that they would learn it, that you would impress it upon them by your Spirit. And that as we have known your forgiveness, as we've we received it, as we, as we know it deep down, we know it's true, help us not to forget. And help us, Father, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. To bear fruit in keeping with your forgiveness, which has brought about the repentance. Help us, Father. And we praise you for who you are, what you've done in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.